At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign overall. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Well, good morning, you brave souls, you. Good to see you here today. Now, the song we just sang, How Great Thou Art, it's certainly one of the top five hymns of all time, regardless of who is making the list. You do a little bit of research, and it's in the top five, no matter who says so or who's critiquing it or who's making the call. And with its high view of God, it's easy to sing chorus, hope-filled vision of eternity. It is absolutely one of my personal favorites. I trust that it is yours as well. Now, what most of us may not realize is the words to that song were actually first penned as a poem. A 26-year-old Swedish minister by the name of Carl Boberg wrote that in the late 1800s. Now, as the story goes, Boberg and his friends were walking home from church one Sunday. And as they were walking home, a quick storm came upon them. And this storm had everything that a storm has. It came with lightning, there were thunderclaps, there was all of it in this moment. Wind gusts blew, and as you might expect, they all ran for shelter, Boberg and his friends. But interestingly, just as quickly as the storm came, the storm relented. And that's when Boberg would fling the windows of his home open and see afresh the goodness of God's creation expressed clearly his sovereign control over that which he had created. So a moment earlier, it is raining, it is pouring, it is thundering, it is lightning. And the next moment, there is a flash of clarity and it is gone. And in that moment, he sits down and he writes a poem known as, O Mighty God. And those would serve as the words for how great thou art. I might say, Pastor, that's great. I know we just sang that song. But why are you starting today's sermon with the history of this great hymn? Well, see, the truth that inspired Carl Boberg to write in 1885, to sit down and to write a poem, is the same truth that you and I are going to be examining today. It's the same reality that we are going to be examining as we look to the book of Daniel. We are going to see the surpassing greatness 
of our God. That's what we're going to see at work in the second chapter of Daniel. But before we open God's word, let's pray together. Gracious God, holy God, righteous God, God who is worthy of our praise, worthy of our time, worthy of our attention, we come to you today. We come to you and acknowledge that we are a needy people, that we are a people in need of your grace. We are a people in need of your mercy. We are a people in need of your forgiveness. As we humble ourselves before you, before your ultimate rule and reign in our world, we submit to you to which you desire to do in us and through us today. God, we thank you for the example that we are going to read in just a moment. And we pray that as we open your word, that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would speak to our hearts and minds today. Use this text, use this story for your kingdom purposes in our lives. God, we stand upon your truth today. And so in order to understand it, we ask for eyes to see it clearly. God, we ask for ears to hear the truth clearly today. And then humble hearts before you that you might penetrate our lives with this truth. And we ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, church, this morning we are going to continue our sermon series. And as I've mentioned, it is in the Old Testament book of Daniel. It's a book that models for us what it means for you and I to live out our faith in a challenging culture. To be people of God in a world that seems to be pushing against the things and the ways of God. And that's why we're calling our series, Daniel, A Clash of Cultures. Because our goal is to learn together how God's people can, in fact, remain faithful. Faithful to our convictions, faithful to our Lord amidst a culture that is hostile towards you and me. You see, our series is going to walk through the historical narratives. As I mentioned uh, last time, sometimes when you come to the book of Daniel, you want to read the whole thing. Well, we're going to be focusing on just those first six chapters. It's a historical narrative. It's a story. And we're going to be reading chapter 2 today. And if you have uh, kind of looked at where we were last week with chapter 1 and then said, oh, we're going to look at chapter 2 this week, and then you get to chapter 2, you realize it is really long. 49 verses long. I hope you set the DVR because we might, uh, we might miss the beginning of the Lions game, okay? I'm just going to be honest. We're going to be reading this 49 verses, uh, and so we should probably start reading. But before we jump into the text, I want to give us a little bit of backstory. I want us to be reminded of who Daniel is. You see, there's a young man named Daniel, and he has been chosen uh, to be in the court of the Babylon king, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Now, this teenage boy and his friends are living in exile. Remember, Jerusalem has been seized. The temple has been destroyed. And these young men, now when I say young men, teenagers, think late teens, they're navigating life. They're navigating their faith. They're seeking to practice their faith in the kingdom of Babylon. Now, as we saw last week, their situation is a bit different than the others. God has given them favor. He's given them favor in the eyes of the king. He has blessed Daniel and his friends in three very specific ways. He blessed them intellectually. He blessed them practically. He blessed them supernaturally. Now, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you, go to iTunes, go to Google Music, go to Spotify, wherever it is that you get your music or your podcasts, and download the podcast from last week because it really sets up what's happening throughout our series. It's very important. So Daniel and his friends, they have favor with the king, which is very strange. But in spite of the strangeness or the troubling situation that God's people find themselves in, what we learn is that he is still in submission to a sovereign God. Our sovereign God controls all of those difficult situations. So that is our backdrop. Let's grab our Bibles and start working through 49 verses of Scripture together. We're not going to read it all at once, uh, but I do want us to read and get established and get into a rhythm as we work through our story today. So let's begin. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to pick it up right at the beginning uh, with verse 1. You're going to find that on page 730. 37 in our church Bibles. Uh, If you're reading along in the ESV, that is 737. Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. And then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and they stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. Your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, Show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let uh, the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show his interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, but there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. 
The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demands. For no, no great and powerful king has asked such a thing to any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry. And he was very furious. And he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. And then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. All right. Got us off on a good start, doesn't it? Are you feeling the intensity of what's happening in this text? That was a question. Okay, good. I'm glad you're tracking with me. What's important for us to understand is in this ancient Near East time period that's, uh, or, or location, that's where our story took place, kings often received messages from their gods, specific small g, okay, small g gods. And King Nebuchadnezzar is one of those kings. He receives messages that way. You see, following a tremendous amount of military success, conquering many other countries, the king is now at a place where he is having having a dream, and it kind of scares him. He's a little fearful of what's going on. This dream messed with him. So what does he do? He calls in his spiritual advisors to give him some insight. Surely the sorcerers and the psychics, they will be able to tell me what's going on in my dream. Surely they can help. They couldn't. They couldn't. Instead, they became filled with fear. They said, no, king, nobody can do that. No one on earth could tell you the dream and the meaning. Nobody. The king exploded. The king burned with anger. Kill them all, he demanded. Now, sadly, Daniel and his friends fell under that order. Daniel and his friends were part of this group. Now, keep in mind what we learned last week is that he, Daniel, and his friends had had all the cultural appropriation training in the ways of Babylon. They had that type of education, but they were still young. They were, again, near, you know, 19, 20 years of age. And so in doing so, they didn't really have much clout. He was among the group that was being condemned to die unless, of course, God would intervene. Let's continue our story, picking it up at verse 17. And then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, to Mishael, and to Azariah, his companions. 
And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Before we go any further, I want you and I to understand what is happening here in the portion of biblical text that you and I just read. What's happening here is the answer to a question that is implied deeply in the text. And it's a question that many of us are processing, we're evaluating, and we are asking today in our world. How can believers have confidence when we clash culturally? How can we kind of have that kind of confidence? Well, the answer is theological. We can have confidence because God is greater. God is greater. Now, if you are here and you would call Woodside your church home, you know that we don't like trite answers. We do not like trite answers, the kind that essentially come over to you and offer you a little pat on the head and say, here you go, run along. That's not what we're interested in. We're interested in knowing what the scriptures teach. We prefer biblical truth, biblical reality. And so let me tell you that the theological answer that was given is, in fact, biblical truth. It's not a pat on the head. It's not a pat on the back to run along. Instead, it is biblical truth. So let's keep going in our text. Let's pick it up at verse 23. Actually, verse 20. And Daniel answered and said to them, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what was asked of me excuse me, what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Let's stop one more time. Daniel and his friends believed that every bit of wisdom that the Babylonian world had to offer had a limit. And so what they did is they ran to God. They knew that Babylonian wisdom was not God's wisdom. So they sought Almighty God in prayer. They humbled themselves in his presence. They sought God's wisdom. And what God revealed to them was his wisdom. He revealed it to them. And this helps us see that God's wisdom is greater. It is greater than anything the world has to offer. God's wisdom. Now, I may be wrong here, but uh, I don't believe any of us have been brought before a king to interpret a dream. Anybody? 
Anybody. No, seriously, anybody. Okay. So then we're looking at this story and we're saying, well, how does this connect with my life? How does this minister to what I face on a Monday or a Tuesday or a Wednesday? Because the fact of the matter is, we all face major decisions in our lives each and every day. Perhaps it is a tough decision at work. We're on the job site and we're wrestling with things. Perhaps we're working through a tense situation with some dear friends. Perhaps we're striving to overcome a personal challenge or a personal struggle that we consistently face. What we learn from this text is the best place that you and I can go is to God in prayer. We can run to him in prayer. This is why I love the famous quote by E.M. Bounds. He says, God shapes the world by prayer. So just as Daniel and his friends modeled for us, it is good and it is right for people of faith, men, women, children, for people of faith to seek the wisdom and the counsel of Almighty God. You and I are invited to cry out to him. We're invited to share our souls with him, to talk with him in prayer. We're invited to seek his comfort his counsel, and his wisdom. We do that when we come to our Heavenly Father in prayer because God's wisdom is greater than anything the world has to offer. And here's the best part. God desires to share that wisdom with all who seek him. That's his heart. The question is for each of us today, have we come to him? Is that our practice to regularly run to our God? Whatever the decision, whatever the challenge, whatever the struggle, are we bringing it to him in prayer? Have we come before him with a humble-hearted posture, the kind of posture that has nothing in our hands but surrenders everything to him, the sovereign king? It's a question for all of us, wherever we are on our faith journey. Now, let's return to the text. After a time of prayer with God, what happens next? Let's pick up the story at verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, he said, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. It's kind of bold, isn't it? little confidence on display right there. So the young man was ushered into King Nebuchadnezzar's presence. And that's when God revealed his wisdom. Let's pick it up at verse 26, 25. And then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. And he said thus to him, he says, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. 
And the king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, he says, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. He makes it very clear, none of those people, they can't do it. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. Let's skip down to verse 36. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over all them, you are the head of gold." Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, as strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things, and like iron that crushes its small break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, and partly of iron, it shall be divided among the kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so that they mix with one another in marriage, but they do not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall bring in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. So just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain by no human hand, and then it broke in pieces the iron and the bronze and the clay, the silver and the gold... A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Daniel has just told the Babylonian king his dream and interpreted it for him. Daniel did that. And what the king heard in that moment was magnificent and it was insightful and it was powerful. And it was a whole lot more than that. I could go on and on communicating the significance of what Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar in that moment. In fact, there is so much to unpack, we don't have time to go over all the details of what Daniel shared. That would be a sermon or a sermon series in and of itself. Instead, instead, 
What we'll do this morning is consider the primary focus of all of that, and it is this. God's kingdom is greater. God's kingdom is greater because God is the one who establishes and empowers his kingdom. You see, when Daniel shared uh, with Nebuchadnezzar his dream, and what he shared was that while Babylon was impressive in its power and its might, and it was, it actually serves a much larger purpose. It is the prototype of all world empires. Babylon is the prototype of all world empires, specifically the Medes, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Roman Empire that would follow. It's a prototype. And what Daniel prophesies here in this moment is that all are under the sovereign God of heaven. All of them. And while Daniel describes in the dream, while it seems to have great grandeur, and as I mentioned, it does, it will not compare with the glory of God's kingdom. It cannot compare with God's ultimate kingdom experienced by all who know God through faith in his son Jesus. Do you know this God? Do you know this Jesus? You see, the God of heaven is the one who sent his only son to conquer the greatest enemy on earth, to conquer sin. This is why the apostle Paul writes in the book of Romans, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us through Christ. That is how we conquer. Through repentance of our sin and belief in Jesus, the one who defeated sin, who defeated death, he did that on the cross. And he says, you can experience eternal life in God's kingdom, in God's ultimate kingdom. But you can only experience it through Jesus. Do you know this God? Now, let's conclude our story today by seeing how King Nebuchadnezzar responds to Daniel's powerful interpretation. Let's look at verse 46. And then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and he paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him. And the king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. What just happened is this. An earthly king has just witnessed the power of a far superior and holy king. That's what's happened. The scholars don't believe that Nebuchadnezzar actually has come to true faith. Rather, he is bowing in submission to the power and the authority of Daniel's God. The God of Israel. The God of the covenant. 
The one true God is supreme over all kingdoms and rulers and authorities. That is the God to whom he is bowing. And through the experience of a Babylonian king, all of God's people can see clearly that God himself is greater than all authority. The one true God the God of heaven. He is greater than all authority. And so as we consider what God revealed to Daniel and then ultimately through Daniel, it's imperative for you and me to see the significance of what took place and why it matters to you and me today. You see, King Nebuchadnezzar's profession of authority was not the same as a profession of faith. He acknowledged God's power. He acknowledged God's might. He acknowledged God's control. What he did not acknowledge is the God of Israel as his God. And there is a difference. You see, you and I see this in our day too, don't we? When someone acknowledges the gifts that God has given them, but they they don't stop enough to surrender the glory to God, they stand in it and bask in it. That's a good example. When someone cries out to God in a moment of distress, but then moves on quickly once the problem is resolved, it's another example. When someone publicly declares God is the source of their guidance and their strength, but remains with tight-fisted chokehold on their daily life. These are examples that show us what we see in King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, of course, our context is different. But the heart issue remains The heart issue at work remains and is acknowledgement of God, but it is an unwillingness to surrender to him as Lord. You might say, well, pastor, what does this look like? What does a surrendered heart look like? What does that look like for me? White Lake family, perhaps it's best stated in the words of a classic hymn. I think you know it. It's called How Great Thou Art. Then Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and lead me home what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow with humble adoration and proclaim my God how great thou art. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.